Welcome to Fat Guy, Jack Guy. I'm Steph Rubino. And I'm Brendan Walsh. Today, we're just wrapping up our relitigation of the war on terror that we've been doing all month. But before we do that, we have a little message for you. Please become a patron of Fat Guy, Jack Guy by going to patreon.com backslash fatguyjackedguy. For $3 a month, you get access to weekly bonus content, some cool Fat Guy, Jacked Guy logo stickers, and, of course, the upcoming t-shirt drops. And also, you know, write us a review. That would be cool, too. Yeah, do any of those things. We'd appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the show. Fat Guy, Jack Guy, two wacky goofballs talking about stuff. Fat Guy. So, brother, this week, we're just wrapping up all the stuff that we've been co- we've been covering and learning this month together, and we're discussing the legacy of the War on Terror and how people are talking about it 20 years later. Very important stuff, because it <laughs> seems like people forgot to talk about it. Right. They forgot to talk about it, or they're talking about it in weird ways. Sure. Actually, the impetus for this particular episode was an editorial that both of us saw published in The Atlantic on March 13th of this year, 2023, titled The Iraq War Reconsidered. Mm. The editorial was written by David Frum, who is a former George W. Bush speechwriter. So the content of the editorial isn't super surprising, but I do think, and I think you agree, that it's wild and irresponsible for any publication to be putting out works like this, considering what we know about the war on terror, and more specifically, the American war in Iraq. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm excited to dig into it with you, We're going to dig brother. in. We're going to fucking dig We're gonna in. We're going to dig right in. We're going to dig right in. Obviously, I want to talk about this article, but I thought we should first talk about something we've been kind of brushing on this entire month, which is how people reacted to those of us who spoke out against these wars during the period where they were really amping up. We've both talked a little bit about our own experiences with the reactions to people who were critical of the war, but I thought we could take a, take a little time just to get more into the specifics of those experiences. So I thought maybe you could start, brother. Yeah, I remember being against war. (laughs) (laughs) Such a childish pursuit. (laughs) From an early age, and by early age, I mean like 13, 14, after the time where I was all playing with guns and doing the things that boys do, you're pretending to play war. After that, I had a pretty quick turnaround. (laughs) Where I thought, well, this none of this seems very nice. High school nice. hits you hard. It hit me real hard. <laughs> I don't know what it was, the immediate onset of teenage angst and depression, but I was against the war in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother's friend, who was a senior at the time that I was a freshman, started this anti-war club early in my freshman year, which was 2002. So the fall before the invasion of Iraq. At that point, we had invaded Afghanistan already. Didn't know much about it, but just didn't feel comfortable with American imperialism. I could not tell you exactly why. Yeah, nobody was talking about it that way. But we just knew knew. 
inherently that war probably wasn't right. This kid was a hardcore punk kid. We looked up to him, and this club came to uh, battle with the Young Republicans Club in certain ways. A lot of fighting between the young white student body (laughs) about, like, fuck you, man. (laughs) I remember there being talks of a debate between our president of the anti-war club mm. and the president of the younger but nothing happened it would have been sick i remember our president saying how he would destroy him in a debate and I was like, fuck yeah <laughs> he, he probably would, would. he had he like a spiky would. mohawk he was yeah. cool then as the war approached there was sort of a division among my friends we had the friends with overtly republican dads mm who were also afraid of doing any kind of anti-war action. So those kids said, we're not going to really do this anti-war stuff, even though we're close friends. They thought that the juice was not worth the squeeze. Because <laughs> they get in trouble. Yeah, they would get in trouble. You don't want to get in trouble with your dad. Yeah, you don't want to get in trouble with your dad. You don't want to get the suspension that we got. We got a Saturday yeah. school, ultimately, which was not a big deal. But we had a sit-in protest where we sat in all day in the lobby of our school. I don't know how many there were of us, maybe like 15, 20. Wasn't that many. We made t-shirts, as we did back in the day, where yeah. you got a white t-shirt from like your dad's just closet. And sharpied just, it. Yeah, sharpied the fuck out ah, of that thing. Great. My shirt had some statistic about, you know, Iraqi civilians being killed from the Gulf War only, which... How we talked about the Gulf War then was, well, that thing worked out fine, right? We right. didn't talk about it as a failure, which ultimately it was. It was. <laughs> but it was a giant failure. At the end of the day, hundreds of thousands of people were, were killed or displaced right. because of that... Very small war. We anticipated that it would be a lot worse, which it was. Which it was, yeah. We made t-shirts. We went around town in a guerrilla fashion and hung banners <laughs> over bridges that immediately got torn down. And the whole thing was looked at as you would look at kids being passionate about things now. You see older people talking about Gen Z and how stupid they are, caring about climate change or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. We, were, we were dealt with in that sort of way where my parents were supportive, but ultimately you had a lot of adults, even my wrestling coach and other teachers saying, I don't give a shit what happens. Like, I don't care. I'm sure they would look back on that now yeah. and say, well, that probably wasn't very smart. But <laughs> at the time... It was almost as if you had to pick a side. And if you were on the side that wanted to invade, you either had to say, it's not going to be a big deal or fuck those people, let's kill them all. There wasn't very many intellectual approaches to it. It's true. And treating not going to war as like a childish idea. Yeah, it was definitely treated as a naive belief. It was. And then it happened and then we felt helpless. And then as things progressively got worse... There was this lingering sense of, wow, I guess maybe we were right about this thing. doesn't feel good to be right about this thing, but it also made you feel less crazy for having problems. Yeah. I think my experiences aren't so... You and I have talked about this privately before. My experiences aren't so much different than yours. Obviously, you went to a public school and I went to a private school, so we were not allowed to have the anti-war club. Yeah. And so we didn't. Those of us who are interested found other places in the community. That's, uh, and I've mentioned this before here, I think, and I've definitely mentioned it in my writing, but those of us who were interested in, like, pursuing anti-war actions went out into the community and, like, made coalitions with people who were already doing that work before we got involved. So people who had been doing it since, like, basically 9-11 happened. And, yeah, the reaction, you know, was not great. We would 
do protests and people would threaten us with their cars, which I guess now that would be legal. In Ron DeSantis's Florida, you can actually hit somebody yes, with your you car because <laughs> you felt threatened by them. You know, people would yell out their windows, flick us off, spit on us. I got spit on a few times at close range. <laughs> what? What a brave yes. person that was to spit yeah, on a high school. Spit on a high school, a, a child. You yes. know, like a, a child. Basically. So brave. One instance that like stuck sticks out to me all the time is, you know, of course, because my friends and I didn't understand capitalism <laughs> that well back then. When the "Not My President" shirts first dropped, we like rushed out to get them. Of course, we were also involved in like the punk scene down here, so that was like a a, a symbol of like being punk in the first place. So when the when they dropped, we went and got them, and I remember. I wore mine to like an IHOP or a Denny's or something. And the waiter that was helping us when we first got there asked to switch with the waitress. Wow. Because I was wearing that shirt. Uh-oh. Very controversial. Very controversial. Like he yeah. just couldn't deal with it. Dude. And <laughs> that, when I think about that, is like so, so wild to me. I don't know if people would do that now. If somebody was wearing a shirt that was like, let's go Brandon, or like some shit. Dude, I don't think anybody too, would. They're too much of a proliferation yeah. now if you've heard our episode I guess on that's true, yeah. Shirts. It's like too much out there. So just a crazy thing. And of course, when we started Food Not Bombs, people that were in the area, because we did it in Fort Lauderdale, it's downtown Fort Lauderdale, people who were like in the area and walking around in downtown Fort Lauderdale would see our banner and like stop and ask us questions, you know? Like just questioning mm-hmm. our values or whatever. They would ask us about the name. <laughs> it's really funny. It's really funny. I don't know. I'm pro-bomb anti-food. I'm sorry. I can't. You know, obviously it's just people like looking to start shit. We were only there once a week also. So like t- t- the fact that it happened, a f- t- you know, more times than I can probably remember is a problem. You know, we were only there once a week and we still got harassed by someone just walking to go to eat lunch or whatever in like the area these were proto trolls before yeah, the totally. internet was this, really you know, obviously big. a lot of this is before the internet i'm going to talk about that in a minute in a little bit actually because it plays into what i'm going to talk about next but yeah you know it's just it was constant bombardment of like well what do you really know about mm-hmm. the war in iraq like yes can you tell me what you really know about it that was the constant conversation uh, and then of course we would be like well, what do you yes. really know about well, it? No, they're all Middle East yeah. <laughs> policy experts. They understand the demographics yeah. of the region. They get it. Yeah. You don't. You're a dumb kid. In school, I did get in trouble a lot for fighting with a couple of classmates that I always got into fights with. It didn't matter like what the subject was. They were very anti like everything that I was, yeah. and I was very anti everything that they were. So we would always get in fights. And when this started. Those fights just got, they just got more and more serious. Like we were getting more and more heated in our classrooms. And some of the teachers were like definitely not happy with the position that some of us took. We got in trouble for like patches on our backpacks. Mm. Um, If we like altered our uniform in any way to like show some level of like anti-war anything or it, it could be it could have been for anything it could have been like pro-reproductive rights or whatever yeah if bad. we like but specifically for the war if we had anything they would tell us that we can't be like quote-unquote political in school yeah and that was like the end of the conversation you know it was just a very strange 
No moment. politics in this U.S. government No politics class. in this fucking <laughs> place that is like the most political thing on earth. Obviously, also, we saw varying reactions to the war in Iraq and to the war on terror in pop culture as well, which is what I'm kind of kind of like shift into right now. Most notably, there was that month's long period in 2003 where no one would stop talking about the Dixie Chicks. Also, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to say I'm going to refer to them as the, as the Chicks because that's what they are called now. In 2003, in like early 2003, before the war even started, Natalie Maines, the lead singer, said at a concert in London that the chicks were ashamed of being from Texas because George W. Bush is from there. Fair enough. That's all she said. Yeah. Nothing more. And there's a lot of reasons to be ashamed of George W. Bush <laughs> beyond, <laughs> beyond the American war in Iraq. But that's all she said. And, of course, this was reported on, and this led to an all-out media assault on the chicks that progressively got worse as the days went by after the first initial reporting. Country fans labeled her a traitor, and people freaked out so much that the major media, com- that major media companies were, were impacted by the reaction. Do you remember this, brother? Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, I feel yeah. like this was, like, all over the place. It was, it felt like a rare moment where someone in pop culture with a voice was saying anything yes. that was anti-war. Yeah. And there was actually, nothing else. A lot of celebrities came out and said stuff against the war. But for some reason, the chicks were, like, targeted. And I, I honestly tried to f- dig and find why other people did not receive, like, the same level of vitriol. Because Danny Glover came out very early and said that he was against it. Susan Sarandon also. I mean, she's kind of always getting shit, but I don't think she get, she's ever gotten the type of shit that the chicks got in this moment. Dustin Hoffman also gave a, a long-ass speech about why the war was wrong at a, like, Films for Peace event. A lot of different actors and, like, you know, entertainers from all different realms gave their opinion in public, but the chicks were the only ones who got that, this level that I'm about to like describe in detail, Yeah, this level of heat. Obviously it has something to do with their image, the fact that they're all women. Yes, the fact that they're all women, the fact that they're country music stars, I yeah. think is the thing that plays into it the most. After the initial media reports of the statement were put out, the country, country music television company went so far as to perform some focus tests to see how people felt about Maine's comment with many of the people who were tested claiming that they quote felt abandoned end quote by the statement and they said that Maine's was a coward for making the comment in front of a large audience in another country like Uh, real she wouldn't do that type of shit here kind of vibes yeah they'd murder her yeah because they would like kill her if she said it in front of a in front of an audience in the United States then after that, like, a whole shitstorm of other events happened, and I kind of just, like, bulleted them so that I could give you all of them. But, you know, feel free to chime yeah, in yeah, yeah, sure. on the ridiculousness, because a lot of... They get progressively worse as I, as, I, <laughs> as I listed them. Immediately, the chick single Landslide, which everybody knows, their cover of Fleetwood Mac song. What a great know. song. Yeah, great song. And they did a great job on the cover. Immediately, it fell from number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 to number 43, And then a week later, it left the chart entirely. People said no more of this Fleetwood Mac cover. (laughs) They were like, no more of these fucking bitches doing this Fleetwood Mac shit. (laughs) (laughs) I think 
I'm just connecting it to other things. I think that this was likely caused by the fact that the chicks were blacklisted by many country music radio stations. Like, they refused to play their music. So I think that that greatly impacted their chart performance, obviously. The pop radio stations were not playing that song enough to impact the performance, you know? And they weren't playing it anymore as, like, support. And, like, nobody was coming out in support of them, being like, yeah. we're going to play a landslide on repeat for three whole days. <laughs> nobody did that, you know? Wow, it almost sounds like a cancellation. It does sound like a cancellation. It sounds like cancel culture, it brother. It sounds like cancel culture. A pull done... And remember, if... I just want to point out that... Well, since we're making these jokes about cancel culture, remember, when your single starts doing poorly, you start losing money. Yeah. This is not this is not without some kind of consequence to them, some kind of, of financial consequence to them. A poll done by an Atlanta radio station called Kix 101.5 <laughs> revealed that 76% of listeners who partic- who participated in the poll responded they would return their Dixie Chicks CDs if they could. <laughs> Like wow, they would return it. Actually, it's kind of nice. Yeah. They would just return it. Okay, because it. and I say that's kind of nice because the next thing is crazy. Protesters in Bozier City, Louisiana, used tractors to de- to destroy Dixie Chicks CDs and other like paraphernalia that they had. <sighs> I shouldn't say paraphernalia; it's memorabilia. Yeah, but other memorabilia that they had of the chicks. I wonder if they went out and bought it. The They're like. We if they buy- bought the CDs, <laughs> like those people were doing with the Nike products, yeah. yeah. Wow, big spike in sales <laughs> in Louisiana. Obviously, they did it. They were just using their because they lost a lot of money during this time. The Kansas City station, WDAFAM, placed trash cans outside its office for listeners to throw out their CDs, and they displayed hundreds of emails from listeners supporting the boycott on the building. Of the radio station. Guys, I mean, it's so boring. Like This is, this is only half of the shit, by the way. <laughs> so boring. It's so clear that they realized that they could capitalize on this vitriol Absolutely. towards this group. And they said, hey, let's do a the thing. The money that these people are not spending on the chicks, they're going to spend it on us. That's basically what they. That's basically like what the process is. This is a big one. Lipton Ice Tea canceled its promotional contract with the chicks as no. a result. Yeah, that one's a big one. And a shitty one. Possibly the wildest one of them all. And I'm just placing this in the middle for a little spice here. The bus company that the chicks had contracted to drive them on tour around the U.S. Saw that many of its drivers quit the company in a boycott of the company providing services to the chicks. Jesus Christ. And actually they had to turn that the tour that they were about to go on. They had to turn that tour into like a flying tour. Wow. So it ended up not even being a bus tour. They ended up not contracting with these people in the first place. That's very stupid. They must have been very secure in their, in their ability to yeah, get another employment. Yeah, I guess employment. they had like a good union I rip. I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't know. It's pretty Imagine, insane. That's like us quitting our job because of something a celebrity said. Yeah. Like, sorry, I can't because I know that there's a celebrity that exists and I'm quitting. I would love to use that as an excuse. How could you drive these fucking traitors around? <laughs> That's so what I imagine all the resignation emails sounded so like. So wild. A couple of months later, the Chicks started their American tour in Greensville, South Carolina. And a town just a few miles away <laughs> held an anti-Chicks concert in response Jesus. to the big concert. Y'all should do something instead. Yeah. And then I'm going to also talk about some other stuff that happened at the concerts because I think it's important. 
the chicks were getting so many death threats like every single day. And remember, this is before social media. Yeah, it's harder to so do a death threat. They were back doing then. faxes, emails, <laughs> and phone calls. Had to look up a phone number. <laughs> And, like, maybe the P.O. box or whatever. Yeah, you can't just, like, half-ass so a death imagine, threat back in 2003. <laughs> imagine. First of all, imagine the effort it takes to make a death threat in 2003. Then yeah. also imagine what it must mean when you're getting so many. Yeah, that's that a whole afternoon. A lot, of people, <laughs> a lot of people are sitting at Kinko's. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, another Dixie Tick death right, we just... <laughs> The poor a lot Kinko's of people workers. are sitting at Kinko's making anti-Dixie Chicks art and sending it to them. That's insane. Fucking losers. <laughs> so because there were so many death threats, they had to make sure that metal detectors were present at all their concert stops. And often they had police escorts take them from the airports to the concert venues and back again in the cities where they stopped. Y'all. <laughs> they had to have police escorts. Now, here's where it gets kind of funny. At the Academy, well, this none of this is, okay, none of this is funny, yeah. but this is kind of funny to me. We're having a few laughs. It's like, come on. At the Academy of Country Music Awards ceremony in Las Vegas of that year, so 2003, the Chicks were nominated for the Entertainer of the Year Award, and when they announced their nomination, they were heavily booed by oh, the I crowd, even though they were there. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of bold. Like imagine you're there and like the people around you directly are booing staring you, at you and staring booing. at you and booing. That's insane. That year the award was given to Toby Keith, who since Maines had made that comment in March, what he had been displaying photoshopped images of Maines ha- hanging out with Saddam Hussein at his concerts. So he would just like blast this on the background. Wow. Like the screen in the back of him at these concerts. What just, a tough just photoshopped guy. Images. Yeah. That guy's they cool. also had, like, obviously, like, Toby Keith and the Chicks had, like, a very long feud that kind of started before this, but got amplified because of it. So the conclusion of this, not really, but, like, part of the conclusion of this, or the conclusion of, like, the crazy things that happened in response to this, is that George W. Bush himself was forced to respond to this controversy in an interview with Tom Brokaw. And like any good politician, he responded in an incredibly backhanded way. I'm going to give you his full quote right now, his full statement. I love me some Bush. On the chicks. The Dixie chicks are free to speak their mind. First of all, their mind. They they have one mind. They can say what they want to say. They shouldn't have their feelings hurt just because some people don't want to buy their records when they speak out. Freedom is a two-way street. Mm. I don't really care what the Dixie Chicks said. I want to do what I think is right for the American people. And if some singers or Hollywood stars feel like speaking out, that's fine. That's the great thing about America. Mm. It's like he had that shit prepared. Yeah, almost Somebody as if he did. prepared yeah. that for him, I'm right? I'm sure it was prepared. There's no way he just came up with that. Freedom is a two-way street. Freedom is a two-way street, Well, maybe. it depends what street you're on. It does depend know. which street you're on, because <laughs> you got to have the most money to be yeah. on one side of the street. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, the things that you do don't protect Americans at all. No. In fact, just yeah. lead to and you just fuck up. senseless death of a lot of people, but... <laughs> I don't know who we're talking about. <laughs> what we're a not wacko. Talking about anybody specific. <laughs> that guy's a real hypothetical piece of work, huh? <laughs> He's a butt. 
<laughs> he's not a butt. He's an ass. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's a little too risque. For our show? A little too blue. I think yeah. people are used to it. <laughs> Just say the word ass. ass? Ooh. <laughs> okay. The worst thing about this whole situation is that the chicks tried several times to co- come out and show their, and I'm putting like many quotes around this, support, end quote, <laughs> for the troops and apologize again many quotes on this, for the misunderstanding, end quote. So not only did they have to appease the decks that were stacked against them by these angry assholes, they also had to give these, like, lame-ass apologies. Two days after the initial incident, Maines put out a statement saying, While we support our troops, there is nothing more frightening than the notion of going to war with Iraq and the prospect of all the innocent lives that will be lost. I feel the president is ignoring the the opinions of many in the U.S. and alienating the rest of the world. My comments were made in frustration, and one of the privileges of being an American is that you are free to voice your own point of view. Okay, fine. But people weren't satisfied with that. Seems like a nice enough response. It's like so nice. Yes, it's very nice, but people weren't satisfied with that. So two days after that, she put out a statement that said. As a concerned American citizen, I apologize to President Bush because my remark was disrespectful. I feel that whoever holds that office should be treated with the utmost respect. We are currently in Europe and witnessing a huge anti-American sentiment as a result of the perceived rush to war. While war may remain a viable option, as a mother, I just want to see every possible alternative exhausted before children and American soldiers' lives are lost. I love my country. I am a proud American. Wow. Can I first of all just... <laughs> break let's, it down. Let's, let's break it down. Let's look at this <laughs> in a 2023 light, yeah. which is our most... Re- our, you know, previous president, yeah. still my president, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Donald still Trump. Your president. Yeah, we know. You're a big supporter. He just, like, straight up said that people's... Other people's... Uh, Wives were ugly yes, and said that, he did uh, say that Ted Cruz's dad helped assassinate <laughs> Kennedy. He just was just completely disrespectful. Like the idea of the American presidency right. having any sort of cachet, culturally, respect coming along with it is absurd. Yeah, absolutely. People were doing political I mean, cartoons of like Barack Obama looking like a monkey, yeah. right? These things it's crazy. In 2003 that idea, hey, we ha- even if I don't agree with you, we got to shake hands. It sounds crazy it now. Does. It That's does 20 years ago. I feel ago. like it even sounded crazy then. Well, it sounds incredibly absurd that she had to bend the knee to George right. W. Bush. Right. An absolute buffoon who she was right about is an idiot and you should be embarrassed <laughs> of him. Everybody. And instead, Everybody she asked, "Hey, I respect the office." We don't even give a shit. We don't respect the office anymore. Nobody gives a yeah, shit about nobody it. nobody gives a shit. You just want it so you can do your power, but ultimately it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, the people who are president don't give a shit. No. <laughs> like, that's the thing that fucking gets me. George W. Bush didn't give a like, shit. He definitely did not respect the office of the presidency as the president. I also love how you have to say the... This is why America's great in every, yes, se- in every, every statement every about statement. it. Yeah, you have to say why America is great. Listen, y'all, this is why America's great because <laughs> I can say something that really d- is not a big deal. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to be from Texas. That's not, not a, big a big deal. deal. No. And then have your career like hurt, your potential yep. bodily harm brought upon you. 
because you said a you thing said- and this is the country <laughs> that is so great? Yes. It's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. That's a re- weird thing to have to it's say. It's crazy. And as we pointed out, remember, this is before social media was big. So just imagine how quickly word was spreading you know, via email and via, (laughs) you know, like just calling each other on the phone and shit. Like, it's kind of insane that people were able to organize so quickly for such a stupid cause. Like, I cannot wrap my head around it. And it also means that news outlets had to be covering this. Oh, they had to be, which they were. I remember that it was on the news a lot. Bizarre. Bizarre. Because Very bizarre. there was a really awful war going yeah, on out there. Yeah, that needed to be covered. <laughs> but <laughs> That should have been actually two awful wars. covered, probably. Two awful wars going yes. on. Yes. Two and awful wars going on. This is what we decided to focus on. I'm not saying things are better now. Obviously, no, they're not. No, they're not. It's funny that... It's just... It, it's just such... It was such a weird time. Yes. And I'm saying all this just to like highlight that it was such a weird time. A lot of people try to rewrite the histories of their communities and, like, their own personal histories to show that they were, like, always against this or at least that they were suspicious of it because we know how bad these wars truly were now. But the reality of it is that, overall, people were very vocally in support of the wars even though they had very little reason to be. Like, there wasn't enough evidence. (laughs) Like, there simply wasn't enough evidence. Well, the rhetoric was fantastically Oh yeah, it was definitely manufactured. I mean, 9-11 was exploited. Everything was about troops. It had nothing to do no. with the war itself. It had to do with, do you support our troops? Right. And it, you, was just like saying pro-life, <laughs> it puts you into a hole where you're like, no, I'm, I, I okay, I support... <laughs> The people themselves. I want them to live. Yeah, I don't want them to die, but I think that their mission is trash. But that just shows you the power of narrative and the power of rhetoric. And conservatives have been very good at it for a while. Yeah, they've been great at it. They're not really good at it anymore, but they're good at just isolating anger now. I think probably better than they ever have been. I still think that they are masters of rhetoric. I still, Certainly. like, to this day, like, I still think, and I and I think that the people who are coming up in the conservative movement and, like, people who are coming up in the far-right movement have, like, studied these tactics yeah. extensively and are now using it against us again. <laughs> well, that, that's the easy thing about conservatism because conservatism draws, like, a very clear line. Yeah. Which liberals do not. And right. we are not. Liberals, no. so we can we can talk about this. We can talk this. about how shitty everyone yeah. is. <laughs> Liberals are very wishy-washy, yes. as they were during the period of the Iraq War. Yes. Conservatives were saying, "Hey, let's go in there and fuck them up," yeah. and you can say, "Yeah, let's fuck them up." Support our troops, not well. What's the nuanced opinion? Mm-hmm. It's like no, fuck them up. Yeah, and only young ninth graders apparently <laughs> were saying, "No, no." A lot of adults yeah, were too. There, there was there were there was a millions people like wide. International movement yes, against this. There was. Just not enough millions. I didn't, I didn't see it a lot. Yeah. I didn't see the lack of nuance that was necessary to say, no, this war is bad. Like, yeah. you don't have to have nuance. No, you don't. And that's the only way to beat the conservative messaging is to say, no, actually, this is dumb and we're not going to do it. There's no right way right. to do it, so we're not going to do it. Right. I have long been a proponent of just saying no. Just say fucking shit. no. Just be like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. You're fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you to talk anymore. Like, what you said is fine. 
Yeah, nuance is great, but not in political messaging. No, not at all. And now, also, like, if you say something critical about the war on terror or the American war in Iraq, people don't really look at you sideways. I haven't experienced that in many years. No, it's the narrative has switched completely. Yeah. Now you look back on that and almost everyone would agree with the Dixie Chicks. Right, right. Almost always they're going to agree with the Dixie Chicks and with, like, me when I say what I'm, what I'm saying. Yes. You know? Which is why, going back to the beginning of this episode, it was so shocking <laughs> to see that editorial published in The Atlantic. Yes. In March. When everything else that was published, and, like, to, I'm not trying to give the media any credit here. You know, we're, we're critical of them, too, here on this podcast. But everything else that I saw that was published from, like, major media outlets, especially the ones that are, like, moderate or more on the left or whatever, however you want to categorize that. Yeah, like, center left or whatever. They published stuff that was, like, no, this was bad. (laughs) The numbers show that this was bad. That kind of stuff. But The Atlantic, I guess, wanted to give David Frum, who who is on staff there, they wanted to give him some time to talk about this. Basically, my reaction when I first saw the headline was like, how can anyone at this point justify the American war in Iraq? People are trying, apparently. Like, asking that question in 2023 almost makes me feel a little like I want to be blasted off the planet. (laughs) Because it just assumes that there is some justification to make. Of course, I had to read the article because I can't just like be mad at a headline. Let's right? crack it open. And, and of take course, a look. I sent it to you. Yeah. So I picked out some choice passages, and I feel like we can talk about them together here. He starts from that is David from. I just want to make sure it's clear from. who we're talking about. <laughs> David from former George W. Bush speechwriter. He starts the second paragraph by saying this. The United States went to war to build a democracy in Iraq. Uh, and then, wait, hold on. And wrong. Then, and, then, and, then, and then the third paragraph starts, the United States hoped that regime change in Iraq would bring stability to the Arab Middle East. Wrong. Immediate red flag. <laughs> <laughs> We're going in the wrong direction here. If you, you listen said two to... of the most untrue things yes. in like... Less than 50 words. Last week's episode, where I talked about No End in Sight, gives you some really fantastic perspective about how there was absolutely no plan for installing democracy and instituting an effective regime change. It was bullshit. From the beginning, they didn't have a fucking (laughs) plan. They didn't have a plan, and they didn't care. And when they did the plan, the plan was bad. Right. The plan was ruinous. So, yes, uh, automatically, David Frum, I Automatically, gotta, he's off to the wrong star here. I got to give you a D minus. I don't feel good failing anyone. Doesn't seem right. He showed up. <laughs> he showed up, so you get a D minus. He showed up, so he gets a 61. <laughs> he continues a little bit later. Under Saddam, also, something I find very interesting about conservatives who are writing about Iraq is that they never call him Hussein. Mm-hmm. They always call him Saddam. Yeah, that's an interesting... Which is very interesting. They're very friendly. Yeah, they think him. it's like their friend, their buddy. Actually, they, he was. He so was. It makes sense. Anyway. Exactly. Because anyway. think about the times he hung out with him. <laughs> when he gave him all those weapons. <laughs> anyway, he says, <laughs> Under Saddam, there seemed little to zero hope for positive change from inside Iraq. In contrast to its neighbor Iran, 
where the best bet then seemed to me, and still does, to be non-military support for Iranian dissidents, liberals, feminists, and Democrats. What is an Iranian Democrat? No idea. (laughs) In the judgment I made in Iraq, on Iraq, I dangerously overestimated the prospects for foreign intervention to build a stable and decent replacement regime. Those are my explanations to the extent that anyone cares about them. Explanations, however, do not count for much. Outcomes do. So then I'm like, okay, so he already, we already have these like two immediate red flags, but then it seems like he's going to be more critical of his position. Yeah, well, he mentioned outcomes. Yes. And so I'd like to hear what the, what the positive yes. outcomes are. But then this editorial turns into a fucking muddled mess of like ping pong opinion <laughs> that like you cannot even, I don't know how this got published. Well, it's if like, I was, um, if, this, if a student gave this to me, yeah. I would be like, you need to fucking figure out what you think. <laughs> it's when Billy Madison asks yes. uh, Eric to talk about business ethics, yeah. and he just can't do it. He can't do it. He can't do it because he he's so it. unethical. That's literally this guy. Okay, that's literally this guy. So it seems like we're going in the right direction for a second here. And then he says, yet as we make our appraisals at the 20-year mark, we need to consider another assessment. Where would the United States, Iraq, and the region be today if the U.S. had left Saddam in place in tw- in 2003. And then okay. I'm like, fuck it, never mind. Right, so <laughs> never mind, never mind. So he's going to talk about how it would be worth, like all those hundreds of thousands of people would be, they w- would they still be dead? <laughs> That's a great question. Would the absolute... I guess he just... thinks Saddam would kill them? Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, listen, somebody's going to kill him. Might as well be us. Yeah, and the that's what he's basically 4, saying. Four to six hundred American soldiers that died in combat in Iraq—they would have died. This they would have had like car accidents thing. or something. Yeah, so. this is such an insane thing. So, what's his assessment then? Here's what he says: Had Saddam remained in power beyond 2003, he would have recovered his former wealth, and with that wealth, his ability to harm his subject, his subjects, and his neighbors. Okay. So we're just dealing with hypotheticals here. Yeah, the whole thing is hypothetical. We're just, yeah, we're building a hypothetical argument. What's the title of this? An, a case for... The Iraq War Reconsidered. Reconsidered? Okay. I'm not He's not reconsidering it. No, no he's not at all. He's just offering more hypotheticals, which were the things that were used to justify the war ultimately. Right. So he hasn't done anything new. Yeah, he's just been all. sitting on this for 20 years. So to help, his hypo- so to help this hypothetical <laughs> argument... That he sets up about what would have happened if Saddam Hussein had stayed in power. He gives this very like simplistic explanation of what's happened in Syria over the last few years. We can only guess. First of all, he also admits that we can only guess yes. what would have happened. Sure. Even though we don't have to even guess what actually happened. Right. We don't okay. have to talk about that, though. We want to talk about what would have happened if Saddam, Saddam Hussein stayed in power. It's the argument that, well... Maybe you die tomorrow, or maybe the entire world fucking explodes. Pretty much. Right? That's what he's saying. Is that, you know, if Saddam, maybe an asteroid <laughs> would have hit, like if Saddam, we didn't take out Saddam. We should have just taken him out. Anything could anything, have happened. Anything could have happened. Sure. Anything could have happened. He says the following We can only guess how the Saddam Hussein story would have ended. But what happened next door in Syria is a clue. There, too, a family dynasty, like the one Saddam was building, ruled by terror. As in Iraq, the Syrian, Syrian regime enriched a religious minority and subordinated the local religious majority. The majority was Sunni in Syria, Shiite in Iraq. 
The result was to add a ferocious sectarian hatred to a revolt against tyranny. Bashar al-Assad's regime, regime has survived, of course. Its Russian allies committed terrible atrocities, bombing and massacring Syrian civilians. Assad himself used poison gas as a weapon, as Saddam had done against Kurds in the 1980s, and surely would have done again. The Western world stood by. The Obama administration, here we go, ignored its own declared red lines. I remember that, sure. Sure. You can only imagine what he's going to say next here. I, I can't imagine. A, sim- a similar scenario is easy to imagine playing out in Iraq, too. How? We have no proof that it would. <laughs> but it could. But it could. Anything could happen. But it could. The one scenario that seems extremely unlikely to have occurred in Saddam's Iraq, a peaceful transition of power to a better government. Mass violence was coming in that country. For Americans, it would probably have been better if the U.S. had kept its distance from the brewing trouble inside Iraq. Whether Iraq had an alternative future that would have been much better for the country and its people seems very doubtful to me. Why? Why does it seem These two sentences also at the end of this together make no fucking sense. (laughs) So you're basically saying it would have been good if we stayed out, but also it's good that we stayed in Uh because Saddam Hussein would have ruined everything. Yeah. I don't get it. What's the argument? What are we reconsidering? Because this just sounds like the same shit. This is, this is, <laughs> no, it's at, he could have written this 20 years ago and then sat on it and changed a few right. words because he the whole literally. argument for invasion was, well, hey, you know, this guy's got weapons of mass destruction, maybe, and yeah. maybe something bad will happen. Right. The only thing that he's changing is the direct threat to America, which was something that they right, tried which, to say yeah, was like which real. Yeah, something that they exploited, um, yes. So the whole justification, which is direct threat, mm-hmm. he's removing because mm-hmm. that did not it exist. Didn't happen, and it was not, ex- and it did not exist. The direct threat was the invasion. So instead, he's <laughs> basically he, instead what he's doing is saying he's trying to get to a point where he says the Iraqi people are better now because of us, which we're going to get to in a second. Okay. Okay. After this, after making these weird claims <laughs> and, like, setting up these hypothetical situation, he kind of turns and does some truly heinous shit, in my opinion. He says, Opponents of the George W. Bush administration have, have often contrasted the supposedly, quote-unquote, bad war in Iraq to the, quote-unquote, good war in Afghanistan. President Barack Obama ordered a troop surge in Afghanistan in 2009, much as Bush had done in Iraq in 2007. Yet the quote-unquote good war ended in utter defeat. The Taliban rule Afghanistan again and have inherited an arsenal of weapons from the U.S.-equipped Afghan army. No, no, there's no, no discussion of the U.S.-equipped Afghan army being part of, like, being our responsibility or anything. I just We equipped them and it's fine because they were fighting against communism. Or also, who said good war? When, right. When was ever Afghanistan considered right. a good I don't war? Know. That was I don't a know fucking who, mess I don't know too. who he's talking to. It's an absolute quagmire. I don't know who he's talking to. But wait, it gets worse. The quote-unquote bad war, so he's talking about the war in Iraq. Yes. Meanwhile, yielded battlefield victories. First during the 2007 surge... Then, even more emphatically, in the fight against the Islamic State a decade later, ISIS has been destroyed in Iraq and reduced to a tiny foothold in Syria. Jihadist terrorism has, re- has receded across the Arab Middle East. And Islamic- Islamist terrorism, which is a crazy, sta- is a crazy phrase, yes. 
seems in even steeper decline in Europe and in the United Kingdom. There were only three completed jihadist attacks in the European Union in 2021, the most recent year for which EU-wide statistics are available. All were committed by people acting alone, using only crude weapons, knives, and cars. So in Frum's eyes, the American war in Iraq is what got this violence to stop, and yet he provides no evidence of how that is true. There's so many I'm not convinced he's right. There are so many explanations. <laughs> I think it's the destabilization of the entire fucking region yes. that would cause the violence to stop. And there were so many attacks as a direct result of these two invasions yes. that you cannot attribute to anything no. else. No. I believe... <laughs> okay, let's talk about nuance. <laughs> I believe that the answer to like these terrorist attacks that we saw a lot more of during this time period, the reasons for that are probably like economic, social, as opposed to the fact that the U.S. was fucking bombing Iraq. Right, exactly. That cannot be your explanation. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm sure there are really intelligent people studying it who yes. are not David Frum. And he kind of mentions some of them, but then doesn't give any of their points or a link to it yes. either, which is crazy to me. He goes on to say, the U.S. is also still partnered with Iraq, if awkwardly so. Although the U.S. no longer has a combat role inside Iraq, some 2,500 American troops remain there to advise and assist their Iraqi and Kurdish counterparts. Oh, okay. So like... Yet another reason why, quote-unquote, anti-Western violence has stopped. The U.S. is still fucking there. Mm -hmm. He's getting towards the conclusion of the article, and he says, Iraq was an optional war. Options need to be examined. Their potential costs measured. That did not happen in the period from 2002 to 2003. I don't believe any of the leaders of the time intended to be dishonest. They were <laughs> shocked and dazed by 9-11. <laughs> They deluded themselves. <laughs> they were just walking huh. around the White House and the Pentagon. They were like stumbling huh. around like, oh, okay. I guess we got to do the wars. Huh. Yeah, this I wasn't calculated. I don't want to read the conclusion because it's ridiculous. But basically he says, like I said, he says at the conclusion that, yes, the war in Iraq was a bad idea, but it was actually helpful in the long run. Oh, sure. Which is not an argument or a reconsideration. <laughs> And if you view, you can view any world event like this, so I don't think yeah, I don't really know. You wait long enough, and something else will happen. Yes, you could make this argument about uh, I don't know slavery. You could be like, well, because eventually, then there was the civil war, and now there's no uh, African. No, I guess they would uh, say like, I guess they was if somebody was making this argument about slavery, just to like illustrate how ridiculous this is. It's ridiculous. They would say like, slavery was good because that's how we built the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, bitch, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, we needed slavery so that we could eventually not have slavery. Like, what does that that's even not mean? Your argument. That's literally so that's like the equivalent. Like yeah. that's the one to one there. It's booty trash. And that's it's crazy. 2023. March 13, 2023, this was published in the Atlantic. Everybody can go read it for themselves. That was two weeks ago. Yeah. It wasn't Everybody. that long ago. Seven days before the anniversary. I don't know why they have to delude themselves into trying to make sense of it. Just say I was fucking wrong, bro. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, he kind of does say that, but then, like, it all goes off track. 
It's also so simple and easy for a person who is not directly affected. Totally. Who didn't lose their entire family, whose totally. home wasn't destroyed, to say, oh, but look now, there's something resembling right. stability. Right, not even just your whole, your home, but like your entire country Everything, was destroyed. Everything, yeah. I mean, as we talked about last week, the entire archives yes. of Iraq as a yeah. civilization were destroyed. In, in days, it didn't Cities even take that long. rendered rubble like Fallujah absolutely demolished, yeah. like just leveled. How could you possibly Which... say, but guy, look now. <laughs> take a look now. Look now. It's kind of better. Even though like, there later. is still not a functioning democracy, whatever that fuck that means, because we yeah. don't have one here either. Yeah. But there's still not a functioning democracy in Iraq. Yeah. So even to make the argument that, okay, the war was bad, but ultimately it was good doesn't really have any weight to it at all. And the region is still destable. To argue that the region is more stable now, I don't think that that's right or true. I just can't get over the fact that he said people were calling Afghanistan a good war. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty wild... Where are you pulling that like one assumption. from? I think he just made is making an assumption. <laughs> it's just like, listen. They're just like, those are the guys that attacked on 9-11, so everybody people probably knows, thought that was good. Everybody knows Afghanistan is one of those good wars. We don't have to right. talk about this like, anymore. Insane. Insane. Just, what yeah. the fuck are you talking about? Truly deluded and, uh, guy, you know, George W. Bush, he's still kicking. Dick Cheney's still kicking. You They're know, still we, alive. We, we lost Rummy, but, you know, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, these, these guys are still among us and and y'all are giving them redemption arcs not y'all not probably not yeah, our listeners not our listeners but still <laughs> just the concept of the redemption arc for so many of these people is is disgusting yeah including david from to be honest yeah he's not why around. is he fully like full-time employed at the atlantic we gotta have these these hot takes <laughs> about the iraq war without that the atlantic wouldn't exist i mean true to a certain <laughs> yeah. extent the actually. hot take machine that is david from <laughs> That's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. And I'm glad that we could we found something that could like wrap this up that is that feels equally wild as like the time period itself did. Yeah. Because it, this article really does feel that way. Like reviewing the I, you know, I'm always talking about like, oh, it was such a weird time. It was such a weird time. But looking back at it makes it feel like we were on another planet or something. In a way, we were in the yeah, way that I we guess. were connected to things in our Just cultural so consciousness. Strange. We were so much less jaded. Yeah. And everybody had a baseline trust of things. Mm-hmm. Going back and reading about some of this stuff, you know who, uh, besides lefties, mm-hmm. you know who really comes out as looking great is these libertarians. <laughs> Yeah, they it's really kind of unfortunate. do. Yeah, they really do because they were very and, against invasion. Yeah. And John Kerry and Bernie Sanders. Yeah, yeah, and and, <laughs> and our boys, but like, it was legit lefties and libertarians. So th- this is the thing that That's, they'll agree on. Yeah, it. they 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 can unite against yeah. this. No more of this shit. No more of this no shit of this ever shit. again. And I hope that if this shit ever happens again, that they do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to come together with the people who can help you fight. It's true. And then you can worry about conversion later. Yeah, a much greater evil, which is, like, the George W. Bush administration. (laughs) Clearly. Bad guys, right? I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thesis. 
you've learned anything this month. If you've learned anything this month, please know George W. Bush was a piece of shit. He's a bad guy, and mad people died because <laughs> he was a dumb dumb, and Dick Cheney was actually evil, and Rumsfeld is actually evil, and yeah, yeah. And on that note, thank you for listening. Have We're a back at Jack. Time. <laughs> <laughs>